Good morning. Disciple, uh, decept, sorry, disciple. <laughs> Deception in the church series. Uh, ben is numbering them differently on the on the podcast as it's coming out the podcast. So for me, for me, this is twenty one. Uh, part two, I think, but I'm getting mixed up here, so don't consider my numbering anything. Uh, but this is the supplementary on discipleship. Now, I'm giving you the supplementary, so you can skip over this if you want. It's 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 okay. But being that I'm calling people out of the Babylonian church, I need to equip them in terms of what a real discipleship environment actually looks like and what how, how to train a real disciple. Now, I'm not going to go into that fully in this Deception in the Church series. So what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you elements that come out of our discipleship level one training that we give at Lifehouse Church. So it's going to sound a little bit disjointed here and there, but it's because I've been, I've, I'm cherry-picking some of the stuff out there from that training series in the hope that it will give you some tools in which, if you are looking for a disciples environment, you can go into it, identify what that environment is actually doing, the, the, the leaders are doing, and you can basically identify within yourself what you need to have trained and taught into you to become a war horse. So this is the supplementary, and this is the first of five parts that I'm going to be doing. This one is what to look for. And being a big five disciple. Part two will be raising an Antioch church and believer. Part three is the normal level of discipleship living. And part four is barriers to normal Christian living. And then the last section will be uh, the levels of a deacon. So that's what we're going to deal with in this section. It's going to be pretty lengthy. uh, And I hope you enjoy it. Let's begin. Identifying and raising an Ephesians 4 disciple. My scripture would be Ephesians chapter 4, 7 and 11 to 6, uh, verses 7 and 11 to 16. Now, this section of this training series comes from our teaching at Lifehouse, which is the subship training level 1, as I've already indicated. And as I've indicated, I thought it would be extremely valuable for you to see the, what it means to train up a war horse, to train up a disciple. What it means to be trained up to become an overcomer as spoken of by Jesus when he wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Now before we begin, I'm going to give you eight questions. I'm going to ask you eight questions. Maybe you would like to, if you, if you have the opportunity, if you're sitting down listening to this, you can write the questions down, pause the tape or the podcast, and then Think about each of these questions and answer it. And then check your answers at the end of this training section. So here are the eight questions. Question number one. So what do you actually know? Question number two. What are you teaching your household? Question number three. What are you teaching your circle of friends or your churches? Question number four. If you had a choice of the type of teacher or mentor you would want to speak into your life, 
would you choose yourself to be your teacher and your mentor? Question number five. Can you rely on your understanding of the things of God to get you through the battles you are going to face every day? Can you rely on your understanding of the things of God to get you through the battles you are going to face every day? Question number six. Can you rely on your understanding of the things of God to get you to heaven as an overcomer and as a victorious overcomer? Question number seven. Can you give an explanation for each of the foundation stones mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 to 3? Remember that each of these foundation stones is considered elementary teaching for disciples. And lastly, question number 8. How confident are you that the disciples you are teaching are legacy builders and overcomers? Two things I want to give you um, that could possibly assist you in developing and understanding what we're talking about here in the subject. The first thing is you need a disciple, a discipleship environment. You can download my free book on finding a discipleship environment at www.life-house.net forward slash F-A-D-E dot PDF. The second thing you need to raise a disciple, besides the environment, which is the first, is you need a deliberate plan of intentional discipleship. And, and, and that is crucial. And you will hear this coming out throughout this supplementary on discipleship. Okay, let's look at an Ephesians 4 disciple. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 15. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now here is the difference between verse 13 and 14. And we're going to describe the differences between maturity and immaturity later on in this, in this section. Now, in measuring maturity, you can also measure maturity by its opposite, measuring the opposite of immaturity within your life, the susceptibility of, being imma, of, of immaturity. So let's look at verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's verse 13. So that's the level of maturity. Now here is the level or measure of immaturity. And you can measure your maturity by how susceptible you are to the um, influences that impact and sway the immature, the sheeple in the church. Verse 14. They will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. You will notice that I'm very, very passionate 
on the discipling process. I'm very passionate on discipling the nations. I'm very passionate of in making believers disciples of Jesus Christ. It is the command of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28. Now, throughout the process of this teaching, I want you to understand what my definition of church is. So, if I'm talking about church, generally speaking, I am talking about a church as a collective noun for a group of disciples. I'm not talking about a denomination, a nationalistic church, uh, a, a, an organization, anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a group of believers on common mission for Jesus. Unless otherwise specified, go to that as my default. Now, so far I've got two books on the subject. The first book I've already given you the address for. It's a free ebook. The second book I have not yet published yet. It's written. It's sitting on my desk here. Um, we're just waiting for funds to be able to print it. It's called The Art of Personal Spiritual Warfare, Book 1 Factors. Now, I'm going to use some of that within this series, within the section. So if you want to know more about that, you can download a free podcast teaching on spiritual warfare that I've done off our webpage as well. And the book, God willing, will come <laughs> when, 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 when we are blessed with finances. So anyway, those are the two books that you can use as resources Within, with, in, in terms of gaining an understanding of discipleship and what you need to learn to become an effective disciple. Level 1 Discipleship at Lifehouse Church is basically there to equip the individual to become a disciple who is able to stand alone and prosecute the purposes of God in furthering His kingdom. Generally speaking, I'm really not happy with the level of discipleship in the church today as, there, as I see such a lack of understanding in exactly what discipleship is. I've preached discipleship in quite a few countries and generally I find that many people and leaders, I'm talking about leaders now, have, an, have what they think is an understanding of discipleship but clearly lacking in understanding what discipleship actually is and how to actually implement it amongst their people that are following them. Um, a disciple is someone who is becoming exactly like the person they choose to follow. And the question to ask is, and this is, this is what I ask my young people, is as each year goes by, are you becoming more like Jesus? And as we go out preaching this material, I find that this is not the case. And as we begin to talk to the leaders and uh, people of the different types of churches, we find that there's a complete lack of understanding on creating a discipleship environment from which a disciple grows. And generally speaking, there's so many contradictory teachings going on within the church, so many different programs going on within the church, and there's not a laser focus on producing disciples. That when we come in and start teaching this material, it goes way over their heads, which is very, very sad. Once you have this, an uncompromising discipleship environment, 
you as a leader will begin to see that people are going to start to seek you out to come into your environment. People are going to seek out your environment because they want to become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, you are going to have to sift out those people who are also going to come because they want the environment. They want to to become disciples, but unfortunately, for various different reasons, they've got something in the world that they're still attached to. They've got something buried out there that they've still got to pay attention to. Uh, They don't want to pay the price or whatever other reason. And you can hear from my terminology there that I'm quoting Jesus speaking to some of the young men that approached him. They are not going to last long in your environment. Especially if it's a real discipleship environment. And if you read the discipleship book that I've written, I'll give you a couple of illustrations on what that discipleship looks like. So imagine the comparison between um, His Majesty's battleship lifehouse compared to uh, Pacific and Ocean cruise liner lifehouse, you know. Uh, and people are coming in, maybe thinking, well, we, we, we're in this fancy dress and we're going to come in as soldiers and we're going to play war and go out in a, you know, on, on, on this ocean cruise liner imagining we're at war. Or we're coming in to do proper training and we're going out in a proper warship. You can see the difference there. And you can see why you're going to have people that are going to come in and they're going to fall away. You're also going to have people coming in. They're going to want to destroy your, your, your environment. But they are the wolves. And because they come in as sheep, as I've said in previous podcasts, you're going to have to identify them and eventually work them out. In this training environment, um, we've developed this level one training. And at the end of the training, there is a measure that we apply to the people going through the training. Now, the people going through the training have to be compliant and compatible with the following scriptures. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 30. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. At the end of the training period, we need to see evidence and fruit of compliance and compatibility to those four scriptures. And this compliance and compatibility to those scriptures needs to be accomplished within a specific time frame. If they are not compliant and compatible with that time frame, I need to know why. For example, I need to know why because maybe the training is not being done properly. Maybe the material needs to be checked up. Maybe the discipling process is a little bit wrong. Or maybe we've not tackled deep enough issues within their life that they've still got attachments to the world. And so these things need to be addressed so that they become compliant and compatible with those scriptures. It's at that point when you really begin to sift out and identify sheep who want to become war horses and sheep who want to become wolves. Now, this is a question, if you ask this question in your small group, or if you ask this question in your church, or amongst friends, it's going to generate some discussion and debate. I I, I describe an incident in my book, Finding the Discipleship Environment, in which my wife and I were invited to my friend's wedding, and, and he was a pastor. We, we, we didn't know anybody else but him. And so we were 
put in, in, in uh, put uh, we were seated with all the other pastor friends that he had and obviously you sit at a table of pastors and all we're going to talk about are the things of God the church what's happening what works what doesn't work um and etc and so the discussion turned around to me and basically they were asking me what I'm doing what I'm working on and I was busy working on on the beginnings of this book now when I began, I, I first of all began writing the Spiritual Warfare book, but I felt such a need to write the Discipleship Environment book that I stopped the first book and began writing this book. And they were fascinated by this. And then I asked them, I asked them the following question, which really stirred up some debate there, and it was incredible the type of answers that I got. Now the question is, how long should it take for a disciple to become mature Stepping into their role within the kingdom. Now that really got their attention. And it got the discussion going. How long does it take a church to train, to recruit and train you into becoming a normal dis- biblical disciple? Or asked in another way, how long does it take a church to raise a Christian to maturity? Or asked in yet another way, how long did it take or is it taking you to reach maturity in Christ? The, the, the answers that I got there shocked me. Really, really shocked me. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 to 15. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Now, how long should it take for a disciple, for you to become mature and begin to step into your God-given role within His kingdom. My answer to this is that it should take no longer and no more than three years. Within three years, you, as a disciple, should be equipped Fully to enter into the family business. You should be operating at what I call level 2 ministry. In other words, you should be operating at a leadership level from that point onwards, three years onwards. Understanding corporate spiritual warfare, the dealing with demonic forces, etc. Dealing with leadership, uh, being a leader and, and, and releasing other people into ministry. In other words... You should have been activated within your area of calling and giftings and to have or be in the process of being released into the kingdom of God, into the family business. Now here's my definition of maturity because the answers that I got from that table discussion was, you know, ranging from the whole life to, you know, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know, ask me another question, wow, that's a difficult question, I've never thought of it in those terms. Now, maturity, in my personal view, is not the end product of the Christian life. Instead, 
It is the start of the disciple in the service of the Father within their field of calling and within the area of the kingdom that the Father has designated through and by the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that again. This is my definition of maturity. So when I say compliant and compatible, when I say Matthew 22, Matthew 28, Matthew 6, Matthew, uh, Ephesians 2, when I say Ephesians 4, I'm talking about this type of maturity. Maturity, in my view, is not the end product of the Christian life. Instead, it is the start of the disciple in the service of the Father within their field of calling and within the area of the kingdom that the Father has designated through and by the Holy Spirit. You should be striving to operate at, the, at, the, at this level according to Paul in Ephesians 4, 12 to 15. So wherever you go, wherever you are placed, within your own life, within your family life, within your family circle, within your friendship circle, within your work environment, you should be operating at Ephesians 4, 12 to 15 level. And this should take place between the 18-month mark and the 3-year mark. 0 to 3. Now, in my training... I use three methods and I combine the three methods. I use teaching. This is teaching. This is the teaching method. The second method is I use mentoring, personal mentoring. And, I'm, and, and, and I'm, I personally mentor between 6 and 12 young men. And my wife mentors women as well. And, and, and so we combine teaching with mentoring. And then while we are mentoring them, we begin to immerse them in ministry and that is why you will hear oftentimes in our sermon series we'll be using young people in the church and you wonder well where are they coming from they're they're our disciples we are mentoring them we are immersing them into ministry by teaching them how to preach and then we're going to be taking them on missions overseas to other churches who want to know about the discipleship environment and they will be teaching at those churches together with us and then also within their own lives they will be Extending the kingdom of God within the areas of their influence. Within 18 months to 3 years, my expectation is that they become compliant and compatible. So the course that we run is just part of what we do at LifeFast. And this is the discipleship training course. And, and what I'm doing here with you is I'm taking out elements of the teaching phase. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to give you some tools and a little bit of a foundation to equip you to be able to identify a disciple environment and to identify what you need within your life to become an effective disciple and to provide guidance for you in being able to find a kingdom-orientated mentor and mentoring environment so that you will be able to find direction and be led into your kingdom ministry under an anointed Holy Spirit led discipler. To do that, all right, there's a lot of change that is going to have to take place within your life. And also, if you're a leader, there's a lot of change that is going to have to take place within your uh, church environment, the environment of the group that you're leading. So, this, the following changes would apply both personally and in, 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 in a corporate sense as well. So you are going to have to challenge the status quo in regards to how you do church. That's going to have to change. Uh, 
Now remember, the minute you begin to challenge the status quo and create a empowerment environment, which you will read extensively about in the first book, Finding the Discipleship Environment, a lot of sheep will leave, sheep will leave, wolves will be identified, and you're going to have to drive those ones out. So the minute you challenge the status quo in how you do church, that will begin to happen. This challenge uh, might begin by you either finding or creating a discipleship environment. This challenge to the status quo, you're going to have to challenge the religious mindset. You're going to have to challenge the main cultural mindset. You're going to have to challenge the entitled mindset. That's the sheep mindset. You're going to have to challenge the personal mindset. You're going to have to challenge the strongholds that people are holding onto and get rid of them. That's where you're also going to lose a lot of people. And you're going to, get, you're going to have to challenge, essentially, how you think of yourself and how God thinks of you. For example, young Gideon, when the angel of the Lord, which is the Lord, the warrior, came and, and, and called Gideon warrior. Young Gideon dismissed the Lord's opinion of him. And he had to get schooled in terms of understanding who exactly he was. That involves training, mentorship and ministry activation. Now if we create a strong discipleship environment, we've got to understand that we've got to emulate the, the characteristics and the behavior patterns of Jesus Christ. So for you to begin, you really need to understand uh, G- Jesus' disciple manner in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. So I would suggest you go and read that, think about that, and meditate on that passage of Scripture. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 13, let's read it again. So Christ gave, him, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service. Works of service, family business. Your works of service is what God has specifically designed and equipped you to do. And so all those people, all, those, all that leadership capacity, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers, are there to equip you to be functional in the family business. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If we don't have the attitude of Christ, and if we don't deliberately and intentionally create a discipleship environment, we will see verse 14 begin to manifest amongst sheep. And so sheep, instead of becoming war horses, will start to drift off to other sheepfolds or become sheeple as they get influenced by the wolves that you will ultimately allow if you don't have a discipleship environment. We will see infants tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. As a leader and a part of the leadership team here at LifeHouse, my wife and myself, we, 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 we lead a very, very small congregation. And I literally mean that. We lead a small congregation. Because once you begin to implement a discipleship environment, once you begin to tell people, listen, this is not a cruise liner. Don't bring your deck chair, your Hawaiian shirt, your bikini, 
and expect the staff here to bring you a pina colada that you can sit on the deck and uh, enjoy yourself. This is actually a warship where you will be trained to go into battle. You will have a station that you will have to man. And when, when the alarm bell goes, there is an expectation of, um, tra- of, 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 of delivery from you on what you need to be doing with regards to the call on your life and the works of services within the kingdom that God has called you to do. The minute you begin to implement that, you will start to lose sheep, sheeple, and wolves. So as, as part of this team, my wife and I, we are constantly looking over our flock. We are constantly examining them. We are constantly checking up on them to see where they are at in terms of their, their discipleship process. We are looking at their health. Intentionally, we create a movement to the Ephesians 4 level. So, you know, we, we, we don't allow people to get sedentary, stationary, and comfortable. We, we are continually pulling them, dry, uh, leading them into the Ephesians 4.14 level. Oftentimes, sheeple have to get uh, the, the, the rod and the staff applied, but that's just the way it is. Um, if there are signs of infancy, if there are signs of backsliding, if there are signs of stagnation occurring within the lives of the people, we'll use the tools of our office, the rod and the staff, to actually bring them in and begin leading them and training them into the Ephesians 4 lifestyle. Um, time and time again, we need to uh, take a look at ourselves and the environment of our church, and we, we are constantly between us in, in talking about what we're doing, how we're doing it, etc., etc. One of the things that um, we're going to be starting to do, is, and you'll hear it in the future, is, is look at worship. What is worship? And then we're going to be looking probably at the subject of redemption and repentance and, and, and just get people to do themselves a check, a health check with regards to uh, their salvation and their faith. And then finally we'll be looking at end times and getting people up to speed with regards to end times. This is, these are our plans over the next um, 6 to 12 months. That's what we're constantly doing. We're constantly looking out and looking over our flock and creating that environment where they are constantly trained and up to speed with regards to what they need to do on His Majesty's battleship Lifehouse. Um, so when you're in your environment, you've got to make sure that that is a strong discipleship environment in place. We make sure this is a very, very strong discipleship environment. There is an expectation that within 18 months, they will begin to operate within the proper procedures of compliance and compatibility to those four scriptures which I've already mentioned and to become moving towards a knowledge of the Son of God. And essentially it reaches a stage between the 18-month and three-year mark where they get to a point where no excuses are valid. So within 0 to 18 months, yeah, you'll get a lot of leeway, but after that, you walk into the no excuse zone and I describe that in the book as well. Within the 18 months, we expect 
that um, the young men and young women begin to mature in terms of maturity and the definition of maturity which I've given you. And they begin to strive to reach the goals and um, ministry and calling that the Lord has laid on their lives. And so we don't allow, too many, we don't allow people to stay in infancy. And oftentimes we find that people want to come into our church. They want all the stuff, but they want to stay as infants. They don't last long. Uh, and that's why in certain circles we don't have a good reputation. But we don't allow people to remain infants and to sit in soil nappies and expect to be fed and entertained all the time. So as leaders, you need to, you need to be constantly looking over your flock it's not your flock, it's the flock of the Lord's, but you need to be constantly looking over them, training them, and leading them into that level of maturity. Now, another little thing that I want to share with you um, before we end off this first part of the five parts on discipleship supplementary is a little thing that I brought with me from Africa and something that I'm very familiar with coming from Africa, and that is the Big Five Disciple. Okay, looking for a big five disciple, becoming a big five disciple. Matthew twenty eight, nineteen to twenty, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to do to obey everything I've commanded you. Now a disciple is a follower, believer, supporter, devotee, partisan, adherent, student, pupil, scholar, learner. Dictionary definition. Very simple. To be a disciple, you become someone who is becoming like the discipler, the person discipling them. You have been designed by God to go. It is within every fiber of your being. It's within the core DNA. God himself has designed you to do this work. Ephesians 2.10 You are designed to go. Excuse me. At Lifehouse, we acknowledge and literally accept that Jesus Christ is the head of this church and, and our, specifically the local extension of his church, which is our little one, Lifehouse, here. So we believe that. In walking in that understanding, we walk in the understanding that we have been commanded and commissioned to go. We are a people that has been sent. And so the discipleship environment is a battleship that gets sent out into battle to extend the family business, to extend the kingdom of God. We've not been sent out on a P&O cruise liner to enjoy ourselves. That's not what the church is about. That's not what our job is about. So in walking in this understanding, we walk in the understanding that in order to carry the commission of sent ones, in order to make disciples, we ourselves personally need to understand that we ourselves must be disciples. As a disciple, there are a number of areas in which you need to become very, very familiar with and have a very, very clear working understanding so that you can be an effective disciple in the hands of the Lord. And this is what we teach our guys through the discipling process. In the introduction to this training, we give them this particular introduction that I'm giving you right now, which is the introduction to the Big Five. 
coming from Africa, this is a term that is very, very familiar with me. And anyone who goes to Africa on a safari wants to be exposed to the Big Five. They want to go over there to see the Big Five. So if you're a hunter, you want to go out and hunt the Big Five. Now, out of all the thousands and thousands of animals in Africa, why does this collection of a variety of different animals get put together in one group called the Big Five? And the Big Five consists of the lion, the African elephant, the Cape buffalo, the leopard, and the black rhinoceros. Out of all the thousands of animals in Africa, these five particular Animals were grouped together because they are the most difficult and dangerous to hunt when on foot. And the problem with beginning to hunt these particular animals is if you hunt them on foot, it will turn out that they eventually will begin to hunt you and they are very, very dangerous. The Bible tells us that our enemy, the devil, hunts us like a lion. So when the devil is on the prowl, the question you have to ask yourself is how difficult a target am I to the devil? Am I a rabbit, a buck, or am I a big five? 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In the Amplified Version, be, bal- be well-balanced temperate, sober of mind, be vigilant and cautious at all times, for that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Now, here is a question. Now, imagine the questioner is Jesus Christ, and you are one receiving the question. I have given you power over all the power of the enemy, therefore, as a disciple... How do you measure up? Imagine Jesus asked you that question. Let me give it to you again. I have given you power over all the power of the enemy. Therefore, as a disciple, how do you measure up? Now, at LifeHouse and on this particular school that we give, we have developed and put together a system that will help you become successful as a disciple uh, furthering the family business. Now here's something I want you to understand about the big uh, the big five, uh, being a big five disciple. It's something that you need to you need to come to grips with, especially as the Babylonian church begins to sweep over and give us this anemic message of love and compliance. You need, to, you need to have a clear understanding of this. And here it is. The world does not like you. You got it? You need to repeat that. The world does not like me. As a Christian, especially as an effective disciple, you need to understand the world does not like you. You need to understand that you have to actually Make a way. You need to establish the kingdom of God within the system of the world, which is the Babylonian system, which I've given you three sermon series with three three sections about previously. 
that system is against you and you have to establish the kingdom of God within that system. So you can become a Lot or a Daniel, you can become a Joseph or a Samson, you can become a Lot's wife or an Esther, you can become a Lot's daughter or Ruth. John 17:14 to 16 Jesus says I've given them uh, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one they are not of the world even as I am not of it you are not of this world very clear delineation between the world system of the devil Babylon and the kingdom of God. 1 John chapter 3, 1 to 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 1 John chapter 2, 14 to 16. I write to you fathers. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men. Because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world. The cravings of sinful man. The lust of the eyes. And the boasting of what he has, has and does. Comes not from the father but from the world. The world, the Babylonian system, hates you. Jesus prays. I don't want you coming out of that system. But he prays for your protection. The Babylonian system, the world, does not know you and it does not know him. And the love of the world means that you do not have the love of the Father within you. It is clear. And so this smudging of the lines by these emergent church guys, these level guys, is wrong. This is one of the biggest problems I face in the ministry. Christians who still have little bits and pieces of the world in them that they cover up and protect with strongholds. You live in this world, you live in the system of the world, but you do not belong to it. And here's the thing. Even though you might have a little bit of this and a little bit of that from the world, I want you to understand something. They know it. They know it. It knows it. Babylon knows it. Babylon knows you do not belong to the world. So, they, it, Babylon, hates you. And they are continually wanting to drag you back all the time. Now, when it gets to a stage where they, it, Babylon knows they cannot drag you back. They, it, Babylon are going to try and destroy you. Your life, your family, your call, your ministry and even your very faith itself. They know, it knows, Babylon knows, and they have absolutely no doubt whatsoever who their greatest enemy on planet earth is right now. And their greatest enemy right now is a Christian with an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ who is a disciple, a big five disciple.
They are dead scared of you. And they hate you. James 4, 6-8 But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The minute you make a stand, the minute you make a stand as a big five and become dangerous to the enemy, the minute you resist him, the minute you submit yourself to God, the devil will flee. Okay? It is here, in the world, that you constantly live out your daily life, and it is in Babylon that you practice your discipleship. And it is here that you have to determine, am I a big five disciple, deadly and dangerous to hunt, or am I meat, prey, a rabbit, a sheep, a sheeple, that will run with the enemy and become prey for the enemy. You need to establish the kingdom of God within the environment of the world system, Babylon, and you need to take it to others who are caught up in this darkness. Now the enemy knows that you have the moral law to do this, and that's part of spiritual warfare training out of the spiritual warfare book. Or you can also get it out of the podcast to understand what that is. That is the word you have, the word of God, and that is the commission. The enemy knows you have this. The enemy also knows that you have been given every tool, every ability, every gift, and all power over him to do this. It is here you live. It is here you share the light of the gospel. It is here you become salt of the earth. It is here that you have been sent to make disciples. And the question you have to ask yourself is this. How well are you being disciples and discipling? Listen to this carefully now and meditate on this and think of what I'm going to say now. Satan hunts people in the church. He doesn't have to hunt for people in Babylon. He already has them. Satan hunts for people in the church. And are you the weak prey or are you the big five? Within the system of the world, which is his dominion, he doesn't need to hunt. He owns them already. He is their father already. He comes into the church to hunt. 1 Peter 5, 1-11 To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. If you, it is here, sorry, it is here that you live in Babylon on his hunting ground. As you begin to establish the kingdom of God, he comes in to hunt. What type of prey do you make for him? Now, listen to this carefully. It is on this ground, his ground, Babylon, that you personally have been sent into and that you have to become a hunter of people in that ground. And that is why you are sent one. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right, that's the end of the first section. Take a bit of a water break and then we'll come back and deal with section 2. Raising an Antioch church and a believer. Thank you. Okay, we're back for section two of our supplementary on discipleship. And we're looking briefly at the differences between an enabled and an empowered Christian. And we're looking a little bit about the Antioch type church, which is a disciple environment type church. Now, coming off the previous section where we looked at the Ephesians 4 believer and the big five, Essentially, there are five things that we try and train people into to become compatible and compliant with within the level one training. And the five things that we really teach on and emphasize is, first of all, that the believer needs to hear God. And to hear God, you need to develop an intimate relationship with God. And so we've got a whole teaching on that. Of hearing God accurately. And the second one is being able to live from your heart. So understanding what your heart is. And being able to understand how to live from your heart. And not from your flesh. Uh, the third one we deal with is spiritual warfare. So we, be, we, we train and teach the believer to become an effective spiritual warrior. And being able to protect themselves and their families. So that's primary spiritual warfare. The, in part two, we teach them a, a little bit more advanced warfare. Uh, end times, we teach them extensively on end times. Where, you, where is your place in time? You need to understand where your place is in time to be able to understand fully the urgency of becoming a disciple maker and becoming a disciple. And then finally, understand your call and what your call is and the giftings that God has given you and how to fulfill your call. And that we teach them within an 18-month period. And from the 18-month period on, we expect that compliance and compatibility to manifest within their lives and an understanding in these areas. All right, let's just quickly look at the differences between enabled and empowered. And we're going to start off by looking at the Antioch church and the believer. So effectively, to, to raise up a disciple environment, a church that is Antioch in nature takes apostolic and prophetic wisdom 
and a foundation to plant and raise such a church up so that it is, it is apostolic in nature. And within that full ministry of an apostle and prophet within the church, what is going to come forth is, is, is going to manifest within the nature, within the structure, within the lifestyle and the ministry of the church. And a church that is based, a local church that is based on that kind of a foundation is very unlikely to be swamped by Babylon rising and coming in against the church because that kind of a foundation is actually going to be raising up an accuracy within its individuals. That church environment is a radical church change environment. So you can't come into that church and not change. You're either going to come in and change or you're going to come in and you're going to run. It's a discipleship environment. It's a, it's, it's a sending environment. It's a family environment and it has the same heartbeat. Now, what you've got to understand about this environment is it is not a blessing model. It is a birthing place. It is a training place. It is a sending place. It is a sowing place, overseeing place. It is a battleship. And I've given you illustrations in the book, a couple of illustrations on what you can look like. So there's a, a stark contrast between a church that operates like a battleship that is actually a battleship and has the nature of a battleship to a church that operates like a cruise liner but sometimes tries to disguise itself up in terms of various different styles of parties. So, you know, come along in and we can act as if we're a battleship. Within this environment, you will be told and trained that you are actually a warrior and you are birthed into a kingdom that is at war. You will be a warrior that will be trained to be sent out into this battle continuously. You will be a warrior that will be continually trained to become an overcomer. And you will be, you'll be trained to learn that to build a church like this, you need to walk in step with the full manifestation presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I tell you, does not manifest itself in hooting and barking and the carryings on that you see in the charismatic church at this particular moment. And so for this type of church, you need war horses, you need breakthrough believers. Now there's a couple of values that you can identify within this church. So if you, if you go into this church and you start uh, looking for the types of generalized teachings, you will see these teachings being taught and you will see these teachings being practiced within the church. You've got to push in for some of them, because some of them won't be seen overtly, but a lot of them will a lot of the stuff will be the framework, the planks of what this church is all about. And here are here are some of them. And if you take note of them and you need to walk into a, a discipleship environment, you need to come out of a Babylonian environment, you need to come out of a passenger cruise liner, these are some of the things you need to look for within that church. There will be a radical obedience within the church. There will be a submission to authority within the church. There will be discipline that is actively practiced and practiced properly within that church. There will be a theological purity within the teachings of that church. There will be a family spirituality. In other words, the emphasis is on discipleship taking place within the family and family responsibility of raising up disciples with, uh, through the kids, and you'll see this in the levels of a deacon. Uh, confession of sins, there'll be a proper understanding of the repentance process, 
a proper understanding of redemption process that takes place. And people in the pews there will know they're actually saved and they, get, and they got saved properly. Uh, there's a holistic stewardship, servanthood, there's accountability, there is a thorough and deep biblical knowledge of people there. You'll find that the people there in the pew sometimes will know more than, more, have more scriptural knowledge than a lot of preachers' hirelings out there. Uh, they'll understand that it's salvation by grace alone. There will be a strong practice of holy living within that church, and so a clear understanding of worship. A lot of church loyalty. Remember the difference between sheep loyalty and warhorse loyalty that I taught you about. A lot of diversity in there because there will be a, a, a push for a full manifestation of the fivefold ministry because a full fivefold ministry within a local church produces maturity. And uh, these are the kind of things that you can look for within a church. You've got to dig for them, some of them. And uh, you'll, then, you'll then be able to understand, okay, here I'm in a disciple environment. Now, war horses, overcomers, breakthrough believers, cause breakthrough churches, and these churches will begin to have an impact within their communities. Now, you've got to understand, impact within the communities need to be defined according to the impact of the ex-apostolic teams that were sent out by the apostolic church in Antioch. So go and read about that church. Go and read about the, the, the journeys of Paul. And you will see that the impact within the community is not this feel-good, love, hashtag garbage. It is actually a manifestation of the confrontation and war that is taking place between the kingdom of God and Babylon, the world system. So breakthrough believers... Disciples and overcomers will raise up the standards within that church and that standard will overflow in the society and there will be that kind of a confrontation that takes place. So uh, Acts chapter 11 verse 19 to 22. Now now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. Verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and then they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And then Paul arrived, and then the apostolic teams went out, and then the word began to get spread. I love it. I love this church. The nature of the church begins to change because of the spiritual impact of the number of war horses in the church. The more war horses you have, the more overcomers, the more breakthrough believers you have within the church, the more of an apostolic, prophetic uh, environment, discipleship environment that you're going to have within that church. And that is what you've got to look for. Because those are the churches that are going to basically begin to change the atmosphere in the community, in the city. And what you're going to find, the difference between a real revival and a false revival, is a real revival will automatically begin to bring a sense of holiness upon the community. And that sense of holiness will begin to bring people to repentance 
And so the worldly people will begin to re- begin repenting and there will be a confession of sin and a separating themselves from sinful things. Not this running around building mega buildings and people coming in to do all kinds of stuff and, and, and compliance with Babylon and getting numbers that way. That's not going to happen. But what's going to happen is with a breakthrough Antioch church, there is going to be a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The nature of the church begins to change when those that are there begin to input and begin to become mature Christians. And they begin to position their lives next to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them and through them into the church and people's lives and into the community. Let's look at the difference between an enabled Christian and an empowered Christian. So, what I've done is, I've got a couple of scriptures here, and I've got a table. Column 1, enabled. Column 2, empowered. And column 3, what this looks like. And so what you can do is, you can just write down the scriptures in the various columns. Enabled, empowered, what does it look like? And you can actually sit down and fill out what it looks like for yourself if you sit down and meditate on it so if you're going into a disciple environment this is another tool that you can look for in terms of trying to find if this is a discipleship environment or if it's not a discipleship environment the, uh, all the scriptures I'm going to read are the amplified version in this section here so it gets it's a little bit technical the amplified version the first uh, row, enablement, immature, they can't handle and receive strong doctrine. All right? The minute you walk into a church and you start teaching on deep things and you start challenging people's uh, opinions from their worldview and you start imposing biblical worldview opinions, you will begin to find out that these are people that actually cannot handle strong doctrine. They cannot actually receive strong doctrine. And the quickest way for you to determine whether they are able to receive strong doctrine or not is basically to measure them against Paul's measurement of milk and meat. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. However, brethren, I could not talk to you as to spiritual men, but as to non-spiritual men of the flesh, in whom the carnal nature predominates. As to me, infants in the new life, in Christ, unable to talk yet, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet strong enough to be ready for it. But even yet, you are not strong enough to be ready for it. Now listen to me here, before we go on and I give you the idea of what Paul's level of milk is, in nature, when a baby gets born, it is a natural expectation for that baby to grow automatically within a home, healthy home environment to become a toddler, to become a young child, to become a young person, to become a teenager, a young adult, etc., etc. If a person a baby gets born and it doesn't grow, then automatically we assume that something is wrong. Often what happens in the physical 
is a picture of what happens in the spiritual and vice versa. But the problem in most churches today is that there are a lot of babies in the churches and we accommodate them and we don't correct them. And here Paul says, these people are carnal. If they are not growing, they are carnal. If you are not growing, something is wrong. Within 18 months, if you have not reached specific levels, something is wrong. If you check yourself at the end of each year and you have not become more like Jesus within that year, something is wrong. And in an enablement environment, you will often find that there are a lot of people that there are something wrong with them. And I've often found, because I'm just someone that creates a discipleship environment wherever I go, I create havoc sometimes in churches where I go walk into it, because I begin to preach to them the, the strong doctrine, sound doctrine, things of the Word of God, and there is an expectation. If I'm starting to speak to someone and they're three years more or older in the church, I expect them to be compliant with those four scriptures. If they're not compliant within those four scriptures, then I automatically go to my default understanding, this is an able Christian, there's something wrong here. I measure, their, I measure them according to Paul's idea of milk. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 to 3. Therefore, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teaching and doctrine of Christ the Messiah advancing steadily towards the completedness and perfection that belong to spiritual maturity. Now this is what the elementary teaching is. Let us not lay again, let us not again be laying the foundation of repentance and abandonment of dead works, dead formalism, and of faith, and of the faith by which you, you turn to God, with teachings about purifying, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment and punishment. They are all matters of which you should have been fully aware of long ago. If indeed God permits, we will now proceed to advance teachings. You walk into a church and you start to talk about those foundational stones, I will guarantee you, and I've proven this in every church I've pastored in my, in my ministry time, I've walked into a church, I've implemented this, most people in the church, three years and older, do not know this doctrine, are not able to articulate and answer questions regarding these doctrines, and that is why they are not growing, because they are still in need of milk. That is an enabled Christian. An empowered Christian will always be cultivating understanding. 1 Corinthians 14.20 Brethren, do not be children, immature in your thinking. Continue to be babes in matters of evil, but in your minds be mature men. I do a lot of teaching on the, Matthew of, uh, the, the, Matthew of, the parable of Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, with regards to the sower. A powerful, powerful illustration of the condition of people's hearts. Now, the definition of understanding is this, to the ability to perceive and explain the meaning or nature of somebody or something. Now, I personally believe that there are demon spirits out there in the churches today who are looking for ignorance, who are looking for immaturity, who are looking for laziness and lazy Christians. And when the seeds of good doctrine get sown into their lives, these demons come in like birds 
and you see them like you, if if you live on the beach and just go to watch a flock of seagulls if you throw some food at them or, or, or ravens these 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 demons like birds come in and attack and devour the seeds of the word and so prevent that person from growing into the things of God they don't cultivate understanding now there is a demon that attacks the opposite of understanding Matthew 13 verse 19 this is my belief while anyone is hearing the word of the kingdom and does not grasp and comprehend it right, the ability to perceive and explain the meaning or nature of somebody or something does not grasp and comprehend it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the roadside. So an empowered Christian is someone that goes to the Lord for revelation and seeks the Lord's heart on issues and applies it to their heart and has, has the Lord working in and through them. They seek what God has in store for them in heaven and they bring it down onto the earth, into their life and they apply it through their life. Matthew 6.33 They become compatible and compliant with that scripture. And these are the people that actually cause the word of God to apply through them the lifestyle of the kingdom within this world. Okay, these are people that understand the protocols of approaching God's throne boldly. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Excuse me a sec. <coughs> Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to our sinners, that we may receive mercy from our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. These empowered believers not only know how to feed themselves and nourish themselves, but they become nourishers of the body. And that is what God wants us to do. And that's the difference. An enabled person can't handle or receive strong doctrine. And an empowered person is continually striving to seek more and more understanding of the deep mysteries of God. Number two, an enabled Christian is constantly in need of teaching, whereas an empowered Christian is someone that is personally going deeper into the word and truths of God for themselves, not relying on the preacher, but personally doing it. Let's look at the enabled Christian. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 to 2. Now, what I mean is that as long as the inheritor, the heir, is a child, and under age, he does not differ from a slave, although he is the master of all the estate. But he is under guardians and administrators or trustees until the date fixed by his father. Children, believers who are in an immature condition, are constantly exposed to becoming impressed and liable to have other people's opinions imposed on them as opposed to someone who is mature. And that is why we read in Ephesians chapter 4, tossed to and fro by the cunning deceitfulness of men. The empowered Christian personally takes personal responsibility for delving deeper and feeding themselves on solid food, 
solid word of God. Ephesians, uh, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14. But solid food is for the full grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to the divine or human law. This is interesting because when I take on someone, when I begin the mentoring process, what normally begins to happen is as I begin to mentor into their lives and, and, and train them to become deeper and deeper involved with the scriptures and allowing the scripture become uh, being applied through their life, often a choice has to be made by these people with regards to do I follow God's will or do I not follow God's will? Now, the more they know the word of God, the more they are able to distinguish between what is good and what is not good. And so the level of maturity takes place where slowly but surely they begin to ask me less and less the questions of should I leave that relationship? Should I stop doing that? What should I do in this circumstance? By asking me more and more questions of how to go deeper into the Word of God. And there is that distinction between immaturity and growing into maturity in this point of view. So, what does that look like? It's big five compliance and compatibility. Matthew 22, Matthew 28, Matthew 6.33 and Ephesians 2.10. That's what it looks like. Number three. The enabled... Believer is always unstable in their walk of faith. Uh, they, they are always coming to you and taking your time with this person said this or that person said that. They are continually being influenced by this and, and are susceptible to wolves. They are continually going into the wrong crowd. They are continually going into the wrong places in this world and, 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 and getting unstable all the time and we've read the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 in the previous section how they waver and are tossed to and fro by every little wind of teaching and you've got to constantly shore them up you've got to constantly be this stay the stick next to them and try and try and make them grow strength and become mature but they they the, the, the immature Christian will always sway always sway the mature Christian the enabled Christian is always someone who you actually see striving to become like Jesus. And we read that in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13, which we've been dealing with that in previous section. The completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection. That is from the Amplified Version. Number four. The enabled Christian is always, they just, they just seem incapable of moving past basic self-centric Christianity. They're always the baby in the house. It's always about them. It's always about their needs. Sheeple. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 to 14. Concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain, since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful, in achieving spiritual insight. Verse 12. Underline this. Even though by this time you ought to be teaching others. You actually need someone to teach you over again. The very first principles of God's word. You have come to need milk. Not solid food. Now we realize. We have read in Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 1 to 3. Paul goes on to explain to them what milk is. Verse 13. 
For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness on conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought and action. For he is a mere infant not able to walk yet, not able to talk yet. But solid food is for the full grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to divine uh, or, or, or human law. And, and, and that is what I explained previously in, in, in terms of seeing how people begin maturing under the mentorship that I have or falling away is where they are unable to or able to begin to distinguish and make personal choices on what is God's righteousness in various circumstances and relationships within their life. The opposite of this, which is the empowered Christian, is the empowered Christian becomes an overcomer. And so whatever the devil throws at them, they are continually beginning to overcome. And you can read that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you have come to know, recognize by conscious, uh, be conscious of and understand him who has existed from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and vigorous and the word of God is always abiding in you, in your hearts, and you have been victorious over the wicked one. So the more mature, the more empowered they become, the more victory stories you're going to be hearing from them. The less mature they are, if you're mentoring them, you'll start to find out they hide from you. And then eventually you're going to have to go find them, hook them in with the hook, with your staff, and begin to sort them out with your rod. And they'll either leave your flock, or they're going to start to become war horses. So... You've got to begin to develop a mental attitude of I am an overcomer. In other words, the Gideon syndrome. You've got to remember that with Jesus, you will be ruling the nations. And so you've got to have that kind of mentality. This is your training to step into that role. And so you've got to stop being influenced, being influenced by the world because you're going to be ruling the world one day with Jesus. Um, you've, got to, you, you, you've got to begin to realize that you're part of a company of warriors, the church of Jesus Christ. You're not alone anymore. You're not me, myself, I anymore. You're not little me that needs to fly his flag of needing constant attention all the time. You've got to learn that um, every time you go into battle that you need to win the battle, whether it be uh, f- a physical battle with person or whether it be a spiritual battle in the heavenly realms. And, and you've got to realize that you need to, first of all, find your place with God in the heavenly realms. You've got to learn that Satan has been cast under your feet, Romans chapter 11, verse 20, and we begin to learn to operate with the authority that God has actually given to you. Uh, you've got to learn how to manifest Christ's kingdom, power, and authority very clearly according to Romans chapter 11. And you've got to start developing a Romans chapter uh, 12, 12, 11 sorry, lifestyle. And you've got to begin to understand these concepts and begin to apply these concepts to your life. Because this is the concept, this is the, 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 the ability, this is the mentality, this is the lifestyle of the overcomer. In other words, you've got to prepare for the cost. You, 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 you cannot love your life and expect to become an empowered believer. You know, you've got to begin to learn 
to understand what your testimony is and the power of the words that you speak under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to understand what the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is and what it does. You've got to learn to understand what bond slavery means. Humbling yourself under God before you resist the devil. Servanthood with God. You've got to learn to embrace persecution. Everywhere I look today, the church is teaching, this is your day. This is your day for a blessing. This is your day for a miracle. But, but the Bible tells me, count it all joy when you, when you suffer. The Bible tells me the world is going to hate me and come against me. And I need to be able to learn to embrace persecution for His sake. Because as I prosecute the kingdom of God within the Babylonian kingdom, the enemy is going to come against me. As I hunt his people, he's going to try and hunt, kill, steal, and destroy what I have. I've got to learn how to flee deception and love truth. Revelation 12.15 Understand the cost that, that, that it's going to take me to do that. I've got to un- understand not loving my life to death. Understanding the concept of martyrdom. Revelation 12.17 I've got to start to believe and become an overcomer, a war horse, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've got to start to work out from that worldview, from that mentality. And that is the difference between someone who is enabled and someone who is empowered. And this is something that you can use as well as a tool to be able to understand what you are needing to find when you go out and find a discipleship environment. Right, we've looked at the Ephesians 4 disciple and the Big 5 disciple. And now we've looked at a very, very briefly what it takes to raise an Antioch church, which is a discipleship environment. I'm going to end off here. And um, then in the next section, section 3, we're going to look at the normal. What, what does it mean to have a normal level of discipleship living? Thank you. What I'm going to do now in this little section is just give you a few little pointers here, there, and everywhere. It's going to sound pretty disjointed because I've taken it out of different areas of our discipleship training process. What I'm trying to do is, as I've said a few times, is to equip you with tools to walk into an environment and measure what you are getting that you would need to become a disciple, an effective disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we've done thus far in this supplementary is we've looked at the Ephesians 4 disciple, we've looked at immaturity and what it looks like. We've looked at uh, maturity and compared the two. We've looked at the big five disciple, and this is pretty important for you to understand, those five pointers that you need to um Learn these five five areas that you need to be, become very, very proficient in. Let me re- repeat them for you. A big five disciple is someone who's very intimate and has an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and can hear the voice of the Lord clearly at all times. Number two, you need to be able to learn to live from your heart. So you need to understand what your heart is and to learn to live from your heart effectively. Number three, you need to understand the level one spiritual warfare, which is personal spiritual warfare, that you may be able to uh, pursue a discipleship lifestyle and be able to stand in any battle that you get thrust into. Number four, you need to understand end times because end times Jesus is coming soon and we need to be ready for him and you need to be prepared and understand what is going to take place during that time. 
And the last one is calling. You need to understand what your calling is. You need to understand your place in the kingdom, the family business, and you need to be able to pursue it effectively for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is a normal Christian life? Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of, I'm going to give you five points in a few, few, uh, later on in the podcast, but just, I want to give you a couple of points here. Again, it's also five points, (laughs) but I want to give you five points here in terms of beginning to understand what this discipleship lifestyle is all about. So the, and I'm, I'm just going to give you the points, a couple of comments and scripture. So the first point is, it is that life relationship with God into which every person must enter into by faith in Jesus Christ. Alright, so it's a relationship with God. Acts 26 verse 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 and that is what some of you were but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God number 2 it is a lifestyle of separation so the minute you become born again believer you begin to become separated from evil things and from the world system which is Babylon in other words sin equals worldliness and flesh and so there's a separation that begins to take place a holiness that begins to take place number three it is the life that god actually wants you to live it's god's will for your life this discipleship lifestyle is god's will for your life holiness sanctification these things are actually very very good for you and they're going to deprive you of nothing the problem is the enemy has so sold and sold well and promoted well, a lifestyle of rebellion is what is necessary and what you need. And they do not realize that the, the more you step into the things of God, the closer and better your life will become. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. Some interesting points that you can underline in your, in your Bible here. Uh, In verse 1, finally, brothers, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. Underline that, how to live in order to please God. So this lifestyle, you are learning how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Underline that more and more. In verse 3, you can underline that first section, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then he goes into the opposite, describing what we need to come away from. So it's pretty important scripture for you to understand. The more we step into this lifestyle, the more we start to pursue God's will, the more we begin to please God. Number four, this is pretty important. It is a lifestyle that has to be learned. Discipleship is learned behavior. You don't just get given it at salvation. It is a lifestyle of becoming more and more like Jesus. It is a lifestyle of living more and more like Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.4, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Um, You need to learn this lifestyle and you need to learn how to live this lifestyle through the application of the word of God. 
John 17, 17 to 19, Jesus is praying to the Father, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Psalm 17, 4, As for the deeds of men, by the words of your lips I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. Psalm 119 verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. So you've got to understand, this is pretty important. It is a learned behavior. So what have we learned so far? It's a relationship. It's a lifestyle of separation. It's God's will. It's learned behavior. And number five, this is important. It cannot be transferred or imputed to anybody else. It is yours and yours alone. You can't get it from somebody. You can learn from somebody, but you cannot get it from someone. And you cannot give it to someone. They can learn from you. It cannot be attributed, ascribed, or assigned. Okay, it's yours. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. John thirteen fifteen. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the sin of nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to the death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Alright, normal Christian life. Some general ideas of what it is. It's a relationship. It's a separation from evil things. It's learned behavior. It's God's will for your life. And it cannot be given to anybody else. Alright, what we're going to look at now are five points of what a normal Christian life actually looks like. I'm going to give them to you with a scripture. I'm not going to go into them in depth, but uh, I'm just going to share them with you. The normal Christian life, number one, is an abundant life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Number two, a conquering life. Romans 8.37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. <coughs> Excuse me. Number three, a victorious life. 1 Corinthians 15.57, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, a triumphant life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. And number five, a holy life. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set hopefully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, what you've got to understand is that is the ideal. That is, that is the normal Christian life. 
Paul the Apostle was very, very conscious of the fact that that was the ideal, it was the goal to which he was striving. Now you need to really understand this so that you don't take out a whip and start whipping yourself for not achieving full abundance, a full conquering, full victorious, full triumphant and full holy life. That's the goal. That is where we are headed. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 to 14, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The normal Christian life for every born-again believer, I believe personally, will only be accomplished when we are glorified, when we stand before Jesus Christ. The ideal is always meant to be the ideal. The goal is that which we always be headed towards. It's the finishing line. Now, we have to run the race. We have to run the race with perseverance, as the Bible says. We have to run the race well. We have to finish the race and we have to win the race before we can achieve the winner's crown. Now, that's discipleship the goal is the normal christian life but we are becoming more abundant every day we are becoming more conquering every day we are becoming more victorious every day we are becoming more holy every day as we started this year we will end off better we will end off becoming more like jesus you see stagnancy and going backwards or stopping in the process of running this race, is unacceptable to the Christian disciple. We need to know him more. We need to become like him more. We need to love him more. We need to love like him more. That's the ideal. That's where we are headed. It's the absolute goal to which we are pursuing. Now we are continually being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans eight twenty-eight to 30 we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. In verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present suffering are not worthy with uh, not worth comparing with the glory that we that will be revealed in us this side of the revelation of that glory we are striving to become like Jesus it's the discipleship process it's the sanctification process it's the work and allowing the work of the holy spirit to be fulfilled within our life go home and read ephesians chapter 4 from verse 31 to chapter 5, verse 21, we can talk about and you can see and meditate on all the things that have to be dealt with in this process of running the race. Now what I'm going to do now with you is give you three brief points that are going to prevent you from actually running this race well. And then we're going to finish off this section, the supplementary, by just briefly going over and looking at what a deacon is. Because that is a good measure 
of becoming a disciple. So here are three things that are going to they're going to sidetrack you. They're going to prevent you from finishing the race, or they're going to prevent you from running effectively. The first one is that if you get born again, once you get saved and come to salvation, if you view your salvation just as an escape from sin's judgment and eternal fire, and a lot of believers fall short of the biblical norm because of this point of view, they're not fully interested in becoming effective disciples. And there's a lot of people that fit in that category. Um, I've had to deal with a lot of this type of Christian in that they want to come to our church, our local church, and, and, and they don't want to process a lot of the issues. They don't want to grow in the things of God. And eventually they'll find out that Lifehouse is not the fit for them because what they need is they need a, a passenger cruise liner, whereas Lifehouse is a, is a warship of the Lord. Um, they focus their attention on their encounter with Christ solely to save them from sin and solely to save them from hellfire. They don't proceed further than that. And this is something that's going to create a barrier of achieving a growth process within your life. The second thing that will hinder you is if you accept Christ as your Savior, but you accept Christ as now becoming your servant. God, God becomes the servant. A lot of people get introduced to the gospel and get introduced to God as God the servant. You know, you accept Christ, you come to salvation, and then God becomes your servant, and he's like this big genie in a bottle that whatever you want, it's now yours. And directly or indirectly, this is what they get told to come to church. This is what they get told to to, to make a salvation and have a salvation experience. Uh, and if they come to Christ from there on, else, uh, there on out, life is going to become very, very pleasant. Everything is going to go well. God's going to become your divine servant. He's going to provide all your needs. God is going to make you happy. Um, God is going to be there to prosper for, you know, bring you prosperity in your life. If you don't like your present job, God's going to provide a better one. If you're sick, God's going to provide a better body for you. If you, you know, if you'd want a newer and better car, God's going to provide it for you. Just ask. The cattle of a thousand hills are his. He is your father and he's going to share his material riches with you. And so what, what, what gets coined is this, this becomes a rosebed theology. This becomes, you know, froth and bubbles. This becomes candy floss. Problem with roses, they're thorns. Problem with bubbles, they burst. Problem with candy floss, lead to tooth decay. I'm not saying that God is not Jehovah Jireh, that God is not a provider. That, that, that title of his means he is the Lord, our provider. The Lord will provide. He is our helper. He is our deliverer. He is our healer. But he is our God. He is not our servant. We are his servants. In his wisdom, in his sovereignty, he does not always provide as we expect him to provide. He does not always help as we understand that, that help needs to be. He does not always deliver as we suppose that deliverance needs to come. He does not always heal as we believe that healing needs to be. He is God. We are servant. That's understanding discipleship. And if you have this God as the servant mentality, it's going to hinder your growth as a disciple. 
Um, if you've got time after the podcast, study this passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 to 40. Now, in verse 35, the words, and others were, just have a read of that. Just, just make careful attention, pay careful attention to, and others were. Right, the first barrier, you know, we just escape in. The second barrier, God's the servant. The third barrier that's going to prevent you from effective disciple and, 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 and headed towards your goal is ignorance, wrong choices, and blindness. I don't know which I deal with the most because ultimately all those first two would lead to uh, a believer being ignorant of the word, continually making wrong choices because of that ignorance, and willful blindness because of strongholds that are never developed. And so because these are never developed and never challenged and never worked on within the sanctification process of that lifestyle, um, the believer ultimately stays in an immature state. And so those are the problems, those are some of the barriers that you can encounter as you pursue a normal Christian life. Right, I'm going to... Give us a bit of a break there, and then we're going to look very briefly at the deacons. Thank you. Right, we come to the last section of the supplementary, and um, this has to do with deacons. Now, what I've found when discipling people is I need to, I need to have a standard on which to measure them. Now, what I've done is I've measured, I've, I've taken this teaching of being a deacon and I've used it as a measure now what you've got to understand about my understanding of deacon and possibly what you might be understanding of a deacon my understanding of a deacon is someone like Stephen and someone like Philip in the Bible in the New Testament so just go and have a read of these characters and see what kind of a powerful minister these guys were oftentimes you know deacons today are just some of the most immature people that get elected year on and year out onto church councils, and um, I just don't—I don't even want to go on down and just and talk about that because I've had so many run-ins with people that are so immature but carry positions of authority in churches that they should never carry because they don't measure up to the biblical qualifications of a deacon. So if you are a discipler and you or, or you want to become a disciple, you need to. Understand what a deacon is, and this is a fantastic measure in terms of helping you understand what you need to be taught and areas that you need to be looking at to develop and improve within your life as a disciple. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 15, we read, and you can go in and read the um, description of what a deacon is is let me read it for you here is a trustworthy saying if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer he desires a noble task now the overseer must be above reproach the husband of but one wife temperate self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not given to drunkenness not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect if anyone does not know how to manage his own family how can he take care of god's church 
He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not including, uh, not indulging in much wine and, and, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. I have an in- intensive teaching in terms of leadership and looking at leadership, but I've taken out just a small section of that training in terms of the heart of a servant leader. Now, Jesus Christ... He is the head of the church and he gave us the supreme example of what servanthood is. And you can go and read that in Philippians. Now, this was because he had the the spirit and the attitude of a servant. Now, Christ is the example, actually, of what a deacon is. The servant among us. Now, obviously, he's risen now, so he's no longer a servant. He is king of kings. But his earthly period on earth, we can see from his life what a servant leader is. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to give his life for us as a ransom for us. And so he came and acted and served as a deacon would. So you can read that in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 and 45. And you can read that in Romans chapter 15, verse 8. Now, Jesus said that the twelve apostles had to learn how to serve one another. And so this, this, this whole attitude of service comes through in terms of discipleship. So you can read that in Matthew chapter 20, 25 to 28. Everyone who, is, who wants to step into these offices of, of an elder or an overseer or of a deacon needs to gain this understanding of what it means to be a servant and have that attitude of the servant, the spirit of the servant. Now, here are the lists that I've come out of from the book of Acts and I've drawn out of the, the, the book of Timothy and a couple of other books as well. I'm going to just read you the lists and then I will give you the scriptural reference. Now, this is what you need to understand. There are three areas that need to be developed the spiritual area, the character area, and the domestic area. In other words, the family area. So whenever you're looking at developing as a, as a disciple, you need to be looking at what can I be doing to develop my spiritual life, my spirit man. Number two, what can I be doing to develop my character? In other words, my soul, my mind, will, and emotions. Getting rid of the strongholds and implementing the fruit of the spirit. And number three, what does my family look like? Am I leading my family or am I not, you know, am I doing other stuff and letting my family run wild? Because that is a sign, that is an evidence in terms of the success of your discipleship process. 
Now, everything that we do in, in discipleship training needs to augment and improve on these three areas. And so if you look at our Big Five discipleship program, if you look at what we do in terms of training people in the Big Five, you'll be able to tap in, tap in to each one of these areas. It's, it's, it's promoting, it's developing a specific area in these three categories. And then on the, the fourth category that I add, which is not in the biblical sense here, but in terms of ministry. And so we train and develop people within the ministry. And that's the four goals of the discipleship process at LifeHouse Level 1. And every program that we run within discipleship Level 1 has to develop one of these characteristics. Let's look at the spiritual qualifications, the biblical spiritual qualifications of a deacon. There are six. Number one, must be born again, born of the Spirit. John 3, 1 to 5. Number two, they must follow Jesus in baptism. Acts 2, 38. Number three, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 14. Acts 6, 3. Ephesians 5, 18. They must know and they must be able to understand how to live from their heart, how to live from their spirit, and how to be continually filled up with the Holy Spirit. Number four. A deacon should hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience and maintain a clear conscience before God and man. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 9 and 13. Number 5. A deacon must be full of wisdom. Acts 6 3. And man, you need it all the time to be an effective disciple. And number 6. A deacon must be full of faith. Acts chapter 6 verse 3. And as I've said, Stephen and Philip really came out strongly out of the diaconate. Uh, as as evangelists with signs and wonders following their ministries. And that's, when I talk about a deacon, these are the guys I'm talking about, not these stiff, staid, uh, immature people that are on church councils, many of them on church councils today. So Acts chapter 6 verse 8 and Acts chapter 7 verse 8. Remember, unbelief has absolutely no place in the life of a disciple. So the spiritual qualifications, these are the measures of a, of a deacon, I actually apply them as a standard for the measure of a, of, of a disciple. So I measure the people that I'm, I'm counseling and ministering to and mentoring. I'm measuring them according to these standards. Character. Now you need to go and study these individual words separately. You can go and look them up in the Greek. You can go and look them up in dictionaries as well. And they will serve in terms of helping you understand how a a, a disciple needs to carry themselves. So these are the character qualifications. There are eight of them. A deacon must be grave, 1 Timothy 3, 8 and 11. A deacon must be venerable, reverent, dignified, sincere in spirit and serious of mind, Titus chapter 2, verse 2 and 7. Number three, a deacon must not be double-tongued, 1 Timothy 3, 8. James 1, 8, James 4, 8, 1 Chronicles 12, 33, Psalm 112. Alright, so we've got to be understand, I've just got to spend a, a few seconds on this time, on this, you know, he must not be given to talk in a twofold manner by gossiping, saying one thing to one person and then saying something to another person. It is a dangerous thing to be a disciple and have an uncontrollable tongue. So go and read James chapter 3. An uncontrollable tongue will lead to devastation within your relationships and with any ministry that you're serving in. Number four, a deacon must not be given to wine, 
1 Timothy 3.8 must not be a drunkard or given to excesses. Number 5, a deacon must not be greedy or filthy lucre. I love that word. <laughs> 1 Timothy 3.8, Titus 1.7, Titus uh, verse 11, 1 Timothy 3.3, uh, 3, 1 Peter 5.2. Okay. Covetousness or the love of money, be very careful. Uh, you know, the, one of the three areas people get destroyed in ministry is, is, is the handling of church money and the love of that money. Number six, a deacon must be blameless, 1 Timothy 3.10. So, nothing to be accused of above reproach. So, 1 Timothy 5.7. Number seven, a deacon must be of honest report, Acts 6.3, Acts 16.1 and 2. Timothy was well reported. You know, he had a good reputation. And a good report, number eight, a deacon must have a good report of their neighbors, of employees, employers, if wherever they are ministering into, just go and look at what people in the world say to these people. Remember, this is the difference of people living in Babylon like that of Daniel, as opposed to Lot, Samson, as opposed to Joseph. Domestic qualifications, and these can be Mixed so between the husband and the wife. So if I'm talking about you know either or, you can apply them. Uh, for the husbands, a deacon must be the husband of one wife. One Timothy three twelve. So in other words, not a bigamist and not immoral in any way, shape, or form. A deacon must be able to rule their house well. One Timothy three twelve to fifteen. Um, if, if he cannot discipline his children, and if his children are running around in disorder, it automatically will show you what he will do with children of God who have sin issues and stronghold issues. He'll not be able to discipline them or deal with them either. And that will cause absolute havoc within your local church. Uh, the wife qualifications, the, the deacon's wife must be grave, 1 Timothy 3.11, that is reverent. Okay, now we're going back to qualifications above. A deacon's wife must not be a slanderer, 1 Timothy 3.11. Not diabolos, devilish, evil, accused like Satan, Proverbs 10.18, Psalm 10.15. Satan is a whisperer, Satan is a gossiper against God and his, and his word. And this is what brought about the fall. And so you must understand that a a, a, a a deacon's partner, a disciple's partner, can disqualify the husband for or the wife from office because of their behavior. Uh, one of the things that I do when I'm looking at leaders, I'm always looking at their house, their their households. How is the wife doing? How's the husband doing? How are the children doing? Clear indicator of where that person stands. A deacon's wife must be sober. One Timothy three eleven. Number six, that is uh, sound mind, um, able to make correct judgments, sensible, self-controlled, watchful, you know, someone that has a disciplined mind. So now we go to number six, must be faithful in all things, 1 Timothy 3.11. Faithfulness is required, you know, uh, that dependableness, that loyalty, you've got to see it because you know, you cannot support someone in ministry if, they, if, they, if you don't have the support of a partner. The children, uh, their children, they must be able to rule their children well. 1 Timothy 3.12. In other words, I've said this before, how can you teach 
the children of God if you can't teach your own children how to behave. Uh, a deacon and their wife must have their own household in order before being able to come in and uh, lead in the, and, and, and order the Lord's household and take order and take leadership in the Lord's household. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 to 15. Now that's the end of the supplementary that I wanted to give you. and just I just wanted to give you tools to help you understand what a disciple is, what a discipleship lifestyle is, how to measure up to it, the difference between immaturity and maturity, what to look for, what qualifications need to be developed within your life, how to develop them within your life. If we're calling you out of the Babylonian inspired churches, then obviously we need to be able to give you a measure of um, what is needed and what you need to look for if you are going into another church. I hope that has helped you. I pray God's blessing upon you. And we're going to begin wrapping up this series on um, the discipleship uh, deception in the church as well. So thank you. God bless you.